Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is an expert who's at the forefront of this exciting field. We have Matt Carolian, General Manager of Boston.com and Platforms at the Boston Globe. He spent a year at Harvard and MIT as a Neiman Fellow studying how AI and automation might impact the future of news, media, and publishing. He teaches audience engagement, journalism in the age of Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple at the Harvard Extension School. Matt, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here on my podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so incredibly excited to be able to catch up today about, well, I guess exactly what this podcast is called, AI and Journalism. Matt, I'd like to start with your time at the Neiman Foundation, where you studied how AI will impact the media industry's future. Earlier this year, you also wrote a Substack post where you said that your main takeaway, which was about five years ago, was that the industry was far too focused on short-term ideas rather than preparing for the day when computers could read and write at a reasonably intelligible level, which now in 2023 is a reality. The technology is here and it's working. So I'd like to start off this conversation with the question that's top of mind for newsrooms right now. How should the media industry future-proof itself for the AI revolution? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's, it's so funny to look back. I mean, you know, I feel like in five years is, you know, a lifetime, but also no time when it comes to some of this, like, really disruptive technology. Yeah, I mean, back even five years ago, it was a big if, right? It was if machines can learn to read and write, that's going to be where the magic starts to happen. And as you just said, right, like we've kind of hit that point. And so I think, you know, the way to, at least I'm thinking about AI in the context of news media and publishing is looking at it as a disruptive force, right? So 
if we look at how traditionally the news industry has been disrupted over time, you know, originally we had, you know, the internet and the internet browser disrupted print papers, right? Like instead of collecting your news from a, a stack of paper that hit your doorstep every morning, you could go on your computer and, you know, go to NY, you know, NYT.com and, and get your news kind of instantly. Craigslist disrupted one of the largest revenue streams for publishers, which was classifieds. Google obviously disrupted the need for, for loyalty, right? So it used to be you would go to your publisher uh, if you had a question that you wanted answered. And now, you know, you would go to Google. Google also disrupted the, the ad model, right? So instead of buying ads directly to publishers, you would buy targeting and pay a network or pay a, an ad technology platform um, that has this network. And, you know, Facebook disrupted curation in the sense that, you know, it's not about going to the globe.com and seeing what's organized there in terms of importance. Every individual person on Facebook has their own individualized newsfeed. And for the most part, you know, I think news media and publishing industry, it's no secret, has been on the more difficult end of those disruptive events. The one area that has not largely been disrupted for the most part, right? Like there's there's still like the content creator ecosystem and those types of things, but is content, right? Like we still largely produce content the same way for uh, today as we did, you know, in 1950 or 1850 for that matter, right? Like a reporter's going out in the field, collecting information, doing an investigation, talking to people, and then writing that and taking that content and, and turning it into a linear story. And then that story gets published and it's relatively static, right? We print it in the paper and we post it online. And again, there's some some exceptions there, but largely that's how it kind of works. And generative AI is going to disrupt, at least in my opinion, that last uh, vestige of news media and publishing that has not been horribly disrupted. And so it's a big moment right now. It's kind of the last the last area that's not disrupted. And this technology is happening, it's coming online really, really quickly. And publishers really need to think about how they approach this, because if they don't, they're just going to find themselves on the on the losing end of that disruption. We have this rare moment of opportunity to kind of chart our own course and impact our own destiny. And we need to seize on that. And I want to delve more into that topic, generative AI with the release of ChatGPT and DALI. It's been quite the sensation globally. And in regards to the news industry, it's, there's been quite the hype, but there's also understandably been some hesitation and skepticism regarding using these tools and a lot of concern regarding robots taking over the job of a journalist. Mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts on what the implications you see of using this technology for journalism is. And is the job of a journalist really under threat? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think a lot of the anxiety is coming from not being able to parse out the two different kind of components of generative AI. So, you know, I think that there, there are two main main chunks, right? There is, you know, well, I'm just going to use GPT as the, the example, right? Like what GPT knows is different than what GPT knows how to do, right? And I think we see these examples where, you know, you'll ask it to write an article about, you know, a news event. And it just makes stuff up, right? And because it's pulling on a corpus of highly unreliable and poorly structured data from a fact and storytelling perspective. And that's difficult and scary and not very likely what users want. And it's not particularly helpful. What is the, the big opportunity in my mind is that it knows how to write an article. It knows how to write a radio script. It knows how to write a YouTube script. And the ability to know how to do those things 
met with verified data from a reporter is a really, really powerful combination. And that's where I think we can, as the news media and publishing industry can win. And so that's how we're kind of looking at it at the globe, at least. Um, and I think that's how a lot of others are, are starting to look at it. But there is that lot of hand-wringing and anxiety because these examples of, you know, going to chat GPT and saying, hey, write this story, they're filled with errors. Nobody wants errors. And so, you know, what we need to do is train train these these models on our own data, um, verified data, timely data, as opposed to just relying on this huge corpus of, of data that these natural language models have been previously trained on, right? It's great if you wanted to write a fictitious story or write a song or, you know, do those types of things. But when when facts matter, you need a journalist in the loop. You need a journalist driving that loop. And so I think, you know, partially the way that that all kind of plays out, right, is like, this is a force multiplier for journalists. This increases the importance of journalism and reporting because it's so, it's so fundamental to the success of this technology. You know, I see this much more as kind of a an Iron Man suit that a reporter puts on and allows them to be more capable and allows them to get more done and allows them to do fundamentally more reporting and, and less writing. I mean, this this reminds me of a um, of a conversation that I used to have with a, a journalist that I worked with who would oftentimes remind the newsroom that they were a reporter, not a writer. And, you know, the things that they were really good at were going out, getting sources, figuring out and breaking news. And then the, the, the part of the job that they did not particularly like was then taking all of that, those learnings and that, that news that the public needed to know and turning it into a story, right? Like actually sitting down to write. And so I think that, you know, this is going to be a technology that allows for, you know, journalists to become untethered from what is sometimes seen as the chore of then writing a story for the large, for the most part. Yeah, it's interesting to explore how AI can really help journalists with their writing process and free up time for what we're really good at doing, which is going out and getting the stories and reporting. But I'm really excited to learn more about how AI is being introduced and implemented in the newsroom from a leadership point of view. You are leading the AI efforts at the Boston Globe. And so I'm really curious to hear more about what your experience has been using this technology as a newsroom leader. And I want to get a more hands-on perspective. So can you tell me more about how AI is being used right now at the Globe and how has the response been? That's a really great question. It's something that we're working on as, as teams, right? So our newsroom teams have been leaning into and investigating things like story automation in categories where there's a lot of structured data. So things like real estate transactions and weather in sports. And so that, that kind of team is running really kind of quickly at, at those types of things. We have, you know, another group that's looking at like uh, generative AI as it relates to imagery. So using tools like Dolly and Midjourney to quickly and super efficiently create, you know, imagery for stories, right? So, you know, not, not every single story necessarily has a great photo to go with it. Or if we want to do an illustration, that's very, you know, time intensive and, you know, being able to use tools like this can potentially pose a, a huge kind of efficiency opportunity. And then we're looking at ways of producing content that we otherwise would not have been able to produce. So for example, is there an opportunity for every story we write to also have AI go in and, and create a radio script version of that as that is then turned into an audio file using text to speech AI, which has gotten quite convincing. It's, you know, an area that has really kind of accelerated is the ability to take text and have a machine read it back to you and have it sound 
almost indistinguishable from from a person reading it. You know, and that lets us deploy content in ways that, you know, we otherwise we would not be able to. So when you're reading a story, you know, reading a text story, you kind of have to pay 100% of your attention to that story, which is great, but it means that you can't do other things. And there are times of your day where you're doing dishes, doing laundry, driving, doing a whole bunch of other other activities where, you know, you're not able to also read while while doing those activities, but if we're able to go and create radio scripts and have those radio scripts turned into audio that you can listen to, big opportunity to extend extend the, the work and introduce a whole new audience to to that journalism which you know folks otherwise would not have been able to get access to because it would have required them to be spending all of their time and attention reading it so you know we're looking at things like that we're looking at being able to summarize stories make stories dynamic to the context of a reader there's a huge amount of opportunity you know one of the things that I've always really dreamt of right is that a story it would be unique and customized to you and your context and your interests. So for example, like healthcare, where if you're reading a story about healthcare reform, it would be really handy if that story was augmented with information in context about your congressional you know, representatives, right? How are they talked about this? How they voted on it? What are their stances? To you personally, do you have something in your life? Uh, you know, is there a data point that we can, we can use to help further contextualize the story for you, right? Like, you know, I have, I have asthma. I need an inhaler. If there's a story about healthcare reform, how is that going to like impact, you know, my, <laughs> the cost of my, you know, albuterol inhaler? You know, there's, there's a big opportunity to, to make this from a, a one, a one size fits all approach to being quite customized and legitimately and potentially much more useful. And so these are all things we're thinking about. I think one of the, the things that I'm really grateful for is that, you know, we have, a team at the globe who's really kind of re- leaning in as opposed to being, you know, worried about or, or overly worried about the threats of AI from a disruption standpoint. You know, there's a willingness to lean in and experiment and be at the forefront as opposed to kind of leaning back and just seeing what happens. Wow, that's very exciting to be at a really experimental phase with AI at the globe and exciting to hear to hear about all of the different opportunities exploring, but it kind of leads me into my next question, which is really about all the concerns the industry is having about AI disclosure, trust, accuracy, the bias of gender. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. AI, we as the news industry are held to a really high standard, and how are you ensuring that as a newsroom, you're also able to maintain the core values and journalistic standards while also adapting to all of these new technologies and finding new ways to deliver content? 
It's a great question. You know, I think we're always leaning towards disclosure, right? Like it's always better to over communicate and over explain than it is to try to do the opposite, right? Where you try to either either intentionally or unintentionally create a situation where, you know, a user doesn't quite understand if what they're reading was generated by a person or generated by a machine. You know, I will say that, you know, I think that there's a lot of anxiety in our industry about about this, but AI is like microplastics. It is in everything. Like every digital system that you touch for the, you know, or have touched or used for the past six, seven, eight years, AI is driving some element of that. Whether it's what you see when you do a Google search, you know, your personalized feed with an Apple News, down to things like, you know, Netflix using, you know, data from, you know, their shows to then create new scripts and new shows that are more optimized based on when people, you know, stopped watching, which was, I think, what they, they did on House of Cards. They looked at, you know, how, w- when viewers would exit an episode and they could start to understand what those, you know, what was driving those patterns. And, you know, it actually impacted their their creative process in terms of, you know, writing scripts that avoided those, you know, exit triggers. So, we're looking at all of that, you know, we're obviously leaning towards being, you know, more at the forefront of disclosure and, and making sure that, you know, users always, always know when and where they're experiencing AI generated content. But I think, you know, one of the big blind spots we have right now is user preference. Do users like AI content? Do they not like AI content? We have a lot of ideas around how users will, will respond and interact with this content but we don't actually have a whole lot of data around what happens in practice, which is going to be a big area of learning, I think, over the next year, is understanding that when you introduce this content or these systems to to readers and users, how do they respond from an engagement perspective and how do they respond from a, a UX perspective in, in terms of whether or not they, they find these things valuable or off-putting or if they love it or if they just don't care about it, right? Like it might, it, it may be that at the end of the day, their article that they're reading or their experience that they're having is, you know, impacted or driven by AI and it creates a better experience for them that they just they might not just care at all. And we're just gonna have to see where where this all goes because it's a it's a big unknown. Uh, I think if we look at, you know, the areas where AI is most prevalent in people's lives, there is really not a whole lot of pushback, right? Like customize you know, customized Spotify playlists, newsfeed on Facebook, more relevant results within search, you know, all of those things are are huge parts of people's lives now. And I think the general consensus is that it's been a, an added value. So we'll see. But yeah, we're, we're just being very cautious and over, over communicating and, you know, starting, starting from that posture as opposed to, opposed to the opposite. And I just want to sort of go back to search results that you were talking about is a huge part of people's lives. It's also a huge part of traffic for publishers today. But with generative AI, we are now moving into a future with AI-powered search engines like Bing testing out ChatGPT-powered search results and the startup Neiba AI that just shows you a summarized answer for your questions and then references it out to other websites. Yeah. How do you see the future of search now evolving and its impact on search traffic for publishers? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think realistically, the publishing industry and the news industry should prepare for that traffic that they're getting from search right now to diminish significantly, right? If users are going to search for an answer, right, they they go to Google for an answer, 
and then they are able to get that answer right within the results page, that's going to satisfy percent or more, in my opinion, people's questions, right? You know, we Google, Google things all the time that we're just looking for a quick answer, right? Like, how long do I need to cook this chicken? How, what was the, the score to the Red Sox game last night? You know, just all of these kind of like short, direct queries. And Google has been doing a fairly good job of, of servicing those for a long time with snippets and smart snippets. Now things are getting, you know, slightly more complex. And, uh, you know, the summaries are generally pretty good, but also partially, you know, in some cases, like absolutely completely wrong and disastrous, right? And like, we're going to need to see how users respond to that, right? Like if one out of every five queries they put into a search tool returns a result that is inaccurate, is that acceptable to users or is that not, right? Like, you know, if, if you're, you know, Googling the safe cooking temperature for fish and that number is wrong and you poison your, your dinner guests, is that going to make it so that you, you know, never, never want to use this again? That's a great question. You know, I think that there is going to be an industry that gets created where, you know, this industry would, would essentially feed structured and verified news and information data to these platforms so that it, in, it increases the overall accuracy of those results, right? You know, right now, these tools are trying to go and crawl the web for information and, and, and understand the context and then, you know, string it all together into a little paragraph summary. And they, they can get it really wrong. You know, I have, a, I have a friend who unfortunately shares a name with someone who was a KKK Klansman who murdered people in the 60s or 70s. And there was a, you know, I asked, you know, one of these platforms who is, you know, my friend, and I use his name, it completely conflated my friend, who is someone who's fairly known in, you know, the tech industry with this KKK Klansman. And I mean, no distinguishing, it did not distinguish between the two individuals, which obviously was pretty horrific and was not, <laughs> not acceptable to, to this person. And, you know, those kinds of errors are going to continue to exist if if the data is not, you know, well-structured and verified that's going to go into it. So, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I kind of went on a bit of a, a, a tweet storm about last, late last year was, you know, I think a lot of, there's, there's going to be an industry where, you know, reporters are going to be then effectively writing for machines as opposed to readers. It's probably not going to be the majority of the, the news media and publishing industry, but there will, you know, I'm fairly confident that they will be an industry that exists to feed that structured data verified and structured data into these models in relative real time so that the quality of those results is uh, better. So right now we're still dealing with the misinformation and lack of accuracy from responses generated by ChatGPT. But even with all of this, as newsrooms increasingly look to opportunities with AI to help them produce content and streamline workflows, there's still a lot of lingering questions about how to effectively adopt this technology. And what do you think should be the steps a newsroom should take today to prepare for and embrace these changes? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would really, the opportunity for publishers is not in what G these GPT systems know, it's in what they know how to do, right? Like start really focusing on using your own data as input to help drive really high quality outputs of these systems. And, you know, I think that that is going to be the most fruitful path for publishers, both in terms of increasing efficiency, as well as 
generating really high quality output. That is really where I'm looking really for the next year, year and a half as to where we're going to be able to do the most experimentation and have the, the most, most number of successful experiments is in how do we use these tools to help interpret and reformat and augment the reporting that our reporters are already, already doing, right? Like if we're able to write quick, quick stories based on, you know, bullet points from a reporter's notebook, that's really compelling and lets us do more of those types of stories and lets these reporters be even more effective. All of these ideas that you're talking about really gets me thinking, and I want to end with this futuristic question. What do you think in 10 years down the line, how will the newsroom of the future look like? Oh my gosh, great question. I mean, if I knew the answer to this, I'd be a very, uh, very wealthy man. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think it's it's tools, uh, I'm doing a poor job of describing this, but I think it's, I think it's further augmenting reporters with tools that allow them to further excel at their job, whether that's being able to give them access to tools that allow them to uncover patterns that previously weren't apparent, right? And like, this is already kind of happening in some newsrooms, including, a, you know, a, a team at the Globe used an AI tool in the past few years to fuel some reporting that was incredibly impactful. So it's going to be giving, giving more and more reporters access to those tools that let them tell, like, uh, uncover new truths and tell new stories, which is really, really excellent. I think we're going to see AI help further fuel customization and relevancy for users, right? And so going back to that example of, you know, reading a story about healthcare and having it be customized to the user. And like overall, like really, there's this great book that my father-in-law gave me from, it was written in the, in the 70s called Dream Machines. And it's all about like, you know, the moment, like the idea of desktop computing was coming online and like, oh my gosh, we have these these incredibly powerful you know, devices that are connected and run code, but largely we've, we've treated them a lot like paper, right? And like they, they use this, you know, this word or this phrase called the paper dime where, you know, we use, we've largely used these machines like we've used paper, right? Like we go out, you collect information, you write a story and you publish it and you, and you're kind of like, you know, that's, that's the real process as opposed to being like, oh gosh, like we can build stories and experiences in the same way that we kind of build code where, you know, you're getting, a multimedia, interactive, smart experience that becomes more relevant to you, that becomes more usable, that has better in more relevant context. It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I think we'll certainly see efficiency gains, but I think we also see this real, real, real significant threat from these large tech platforms who want to get into journalism. And you're seeing that with, you know, Google Bard and you're seeing it with Neve AI, where you go, you go to those, those platforms and you enter a query and you get a result right within, right within search. And that's based on the work and labor of reporters. So one of the things we really got to do is figure out as an industry, how we're going to deal with that, right? Like these platforms can't keep stealing our work and, and passing it off as their own in search. And so that's going to be a whole other battle that is likely to play out. Exactly. And what I'm really getting from this entire conversation is that more than AI taking away the job of journalists, we are going to have platforms steal our work. And that's the more alarming fact than us journalists having to be replaced by AI. Matt, this has just been such a fascinating conversation today. Thank you so much for talking about all things AI in journalism with me. And I'm excited to see how the Boston Globe evolves and progresses by embracing AI. Yeah, I'm so happy I uh, had the opportunity to join you and, uh, you know, I'll keep listening and I'm really curious to to hear how others are approaching these same problems. Uh, it's uh, 
or opportunities. I mean, they're really opportunities. So thank you so much for having me. It was great to, to reconnect and I'm going to kind of continue to listen and excited to hear your conversations with others. That was Matt Carolian, General Manager of Boston.com and Platforms at the Boston Globe. Subscribe to the Newsroom Robots wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on your favorite social media platform at Newsroom Robots for more updates and insights about the world of AI and journalism. This podcast was made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and thank you for tuning in.